Hello once again everyone, thanks for tuning in to another edition of AIW's The Card is Going to Change. Before we get into this week's episode, of course a shout out to our sponsors that help us bring it to you for free each and every week on whichever platform you choose to listen. Thanks to Angelo's Pizza, we're unable to go there right now and sit in there and have their delicious pizza and all the other meals, but hey, you can still get it if you order it and for a delivery or pickup check out angelo's on madison avenue in lakewood ohio thanks of course to pollyanna diy they need you now more than ever uh, not a whole lot going on obviously in the world of independent wrestling so support them uh, they make some great enamel pins as well as other custom merchandise like t-shirts and so much more check out pollyanna diy and, of course, thanks to our folks that help us bring the live events to you to be able to watch. That's the merger of SmartMark Video and IndependentWrestling.tv. Check them out at SmartMarkVideo.com. Purchase past AIW shows on MP4 or for DVD. And check out IndependentWrestling.tv. Sign up using code ABSOLUTE. Get a five-day free trial. Watch other shows that they post or stream, I should say, one after the other, or go back and watch some things in the archives. Uh, I know as of uh, this recording over the weekend, a lot of people checked out the IWTV Marathon featuring AIW Slumber Party Massacre, which was pretty awesome, a nice look back there. And uh, with that, we get into this week's episode. We are joined by AIW owner John Thorne, as always, of course. And my name is Steve Guy, your moderator of sorts, but I am saving our guest. Usually I say the guest first, but this time the guest gets to go last. We are joined by Magnum CK. Hey, guys, you know, uh, it's funny because I've listened to this podcast for years, <laughs> and I swear that uh, there was no way that Steve Guy did those intros all in one take, but I sat here and watched it happen, and it was perfect, <laughs> and it was live. <laughs> there, there, there was a time where there was like a uh, a canned sort of intro, because yeah. uh, I just got sick of editing it, but uh, it, it, it didn't last long. It was ma- it was a stretch of maybe 20 or 30 episodes where it was like the same, like, same exact one every time, and then uh, we just figured... Let's just go back to uh, doing it live because, you know, uh, sometimes you get a little banter in there and it uh, it makes for a good episode. Yeah, it gives it, it a little more personality. Keeps it evergreen. <laughs> yeah, it gives a yeah, it gives the, the banter and then it also when we have uh maniacs on the show like the Rip City <laughs> Shooters, it lets them know like, "Hey, we're starting now. <laughs> get it together <laughs> as much as you can." But, uh, yeah, we are back here in isolation podcast mode. I think uh, we're going to be here for a while. <laughs> we are going to be. I, you know, it's amazing. When you said 20 to 30 episodes, we had uh, the pre-recorded stuff, and you're like, it wasn't that many, but 20 to 30 episodes is a lot when you talk about weekly. That's half a year. Hey, man, we're almost like at 200 episodes. I know. That's that's great. My Magnum, this, uh, one of my favorite things ever between our interactions was the first time that we actually met face-to-face. Uh <laughs> <laughs> I just introduced, I started talking to you. He was like, oh, hey, I'm Chris. And I was like, oh, nice to meet you. I'm Steve Guy. And I started talking. He's like, oh, my God. That's the first time I ever had somebody, like, mark out for me in every sense of the term. You created a monster, bro. <laughs> well, it's like because, because I was an AIW uh, fan long before I'd ever been there. And I listened to the podcast every week because I was just always fascinated. I thought it was hilarious and interesting. And it's like meeting Casey Kasem or something. Yeah. <laughs> 
like, I, like, but I mean, like, like, uh, but of course, Steve Guy's a bigger deal than Casey Kasem. But, uh, but like, no, it's like that voice that you hear in your head for like a year, and then you see the voice, and you're like, what? Like, this is weird. That's you. <laughs> like a weird uh, sidebar from that. I didn't know who Casey Kasem was. I just knew him what? as the guy. I just knew him as the guy that uh, hosted the dance competition on Saved by the Bell. <laughs> <laughs> and then you Googled him, and then he was much less of a big deal. Well, I mean, there wasn't, even a Goog- there wasn't even a Google back then, but, like, you know, I don't know, as you grow up throughout life, and I was like, man, why are they treating that dude from Save by the Bell like such a big deal on, like, some news channel, you know? <laughs> I, I used to have a Casey Kasem impersonation. I haven't done it in so long. I'm, I'm sorry. I would have yeah. practiced it for you with the, uh, the long-distance requests, you know. <laughs> It's <laughs> a good time. He, by, by the way, his daughter does uh, radio. Uh, she's a cutie too. At least she used to. I don't know if she still does. But well, I, I definitely remember what you're talking about because you were talking to me and I didn't hear a thing you said. I just was like, "That's Steve Guy's voice. Steve Guy's talking to me. What the <laughs> hell's going on?" <laughs> it it would have been. I guess it would have been when you. Uh, Yo, so I watched the documentary. Um, yeah. As and by the way, that's before, before we, you get before you guys go on. Luckily, yeah. I don't have a webcam. Um, I don't have a webcam hooked up to uh, our little recording session because you would have seen my eyes rolling a million times <laughs> during that exchange. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Magnum, you you do have a movie that is coming out, uh, and that's what we're here to talk about, uh, among other things, probably. Besides yeah, the bell. generally speaking, the other things are what we end up talking about. But yeah, Magnum's Opus. It's just uh, uh, I would say a little documentary, but it's it's pretty beefy. It's 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 feature length, and it'll be out on Thursday, April 9th on YouTube and Amazon Prime. How are so? How are you going to release that? Is it going to be free on YouTube? Is it going to be a rental on YouTube? I know oh, there's all sorts of different things you can do. Yeah, it's totally free, and it, and I did that. We did another documentary about four years ago, and it was the same deal because, um, I mean, I think you get it's monetized in some way. Like I think you get a couple of pennies every time someone streams it, but it's more about just making your thing and trying to get as many people to see it than it is about like rental fees and everything. Right. You know, that's uh, it's kind of like the like the uh just the mindset of a artist so to speak <laughs> you know you want your art to be seen you don't really care about what what, what comes back you know you it's just so funny you, if you put a 99 cent paywall magically like 80 percent of people will never see it <laughs> exactly exactly yeah. it's crazy yeah, it's right. it's a, you know it's amazing how many more people are seeing aiw for the first time uh, now that we are on IWTV for nine ninety nine a month, as opposed to you know like putting together like an awesome show for like a fifteen dollar DVD, it's like people are like fuck that, you know we're not watching that. <laughs> but well, now it's, it's, people are discovering it for the first time because everybody's cheap, right? Well, it's just funny that you mentioned that because um, you know I, when I started making the documentary because uh, this was not the original plan, we were making a totally different movie and my spot in AIW was just going to be like a section of it, like a scene basically. And then everything went down and it changed. But um, I asked you if you were okay with me using AIW footage and I reached out to Smartmark. Uh, they were fine with it. And uh, I actually went through and bought every one of the shows I was on because I thought that that was the fair thing to do. So I, I, I'm probably like that. a super customer. I think I bought like 15 AIW shows. I appreciate I appreciate the support, sir. <laughs> what a sweetheart. Wow. What, um, 
I'm trying to think. When did you start this documentary initially? Uh, dude, it's like two years ago. And uh, it was supposed to be just a follow-up to our first documentary, which is called Marking Out. And it's just about like fans and wrestling fans. And we went to some Chikara shows and stuff like that. And uh, met Ric Flair and had Stan Hansen on it. It was just a weird little hodgepodge documentary, kind of a comedy thing. And then uh, we're like, well, let's do another one. Because, you know, Chris went back to wrestling, so let's film him and him on. And then we're going to follow some other people around. And then, you know... I became kind of a bigger bigger part of AIW, so we're like, well, let's get some of that on there. And then, you know, the whole injury stuff started happening. It's like, I think we're making a different movie now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the, now, fir- the, the first one is on Amazon Prime currently, right? Yeah, it's Marking free. It's one. free on there, too, yeah. Now, so... Is that kind of where the RJ footage stems from? Was that was was RJ one of the people that you were going to follow around initially anyway? Well, yeah, yeah, he was. Uh, so that was from uh, most of the, we we got uh, two different uh, Augusts at Old Wrestling. We sh- we shot some stuff with him, and um, yeah, he was just one of the guys we're going to feature. He's just a fr- he's a friend of mine and uh, really easy to have on camera, you know. So I mean, he's just kind of a layup because he's just a really funny dude. Uh, but I think it ended up being Steve. You've seen it. I think it ended up being yeah. some of the funnier parts of the movie because you know, like it does. A big part of the doc is my injury and all this stuff. But I think the the plan was to make it still kind of a fun watch. It's not like some big heavy. You're gonna cry for an hour type of thing. I think it. it we tried to make it really fun. Yeah, I, and I think you guys did a, a good job of that. And uh, well, you know, one of the, the things I enjoy is a little bit of an Easter egg. Uh, is RJ's being interviewed. You hear you laughing in the background. <laughs> I couldn't cut it. I mean, because I, I laughed too much. I couldn't. I couldn't figure out how to cut it out. So it's just me laughing like a maniac. <laughs> but you know, I, and, and I think that it comes at a time where you're watching this, and there's a bit of, of, of sadness for yeah. for you, Chris, and and you know, for people who are attached to the character of Magnum, and uh, to hear your laughter in the background of that brings that level of humanity to it where it's like, all right, it's okay to have fun watching this. You know, it's not all entirely a sad story. Yeah. yeah well, that's exactly the, the idea, you know, and luckily I have my wife cause she has watched it a million times and I always ask for her perspective cause she's not a wrestling fan and I would encourage <laughs> any wrestlers out there to find someone who's not a wrestling fan to watch your stuff and be like, why the fuck are you doing that? <laughs> and uh, she was one who helped me keep that grounded because it's so easy to get, you don't want to make wrestling with shadows. You know what I mean? It's like, right, right. Be, like sitting there like, uh, you know, talking about the Hitman character and how I'm going <laughs> to blow my brains, you know? <laughs> you, don't, you, you don't have a weird electric chair uh, thing in your house? <laughs> I just uh, just faxed Bischoff the contract, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I so, always yeah, yeah, yeah. I always encourage, especially the AIW students, I say, um, you know, uh, your best bet is to probably date a civilian because yeah. uh, they will they'll keep you grounded and they will also, you know, like it's 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 a good escape to uh, get out of this world sometimes. Uh, I was just talking about that with uh, someone else uh, because they were asking about like the bubble of wrestling and it's true. I mean, it's with anything, but it seems to be really uh, uh, prevalent in wrestling where it's like you get stuck in this weird bubble and you start caring about the weirdest stuff and you don't realize it, but you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. That guy can't beat me. He lost last month. That makes me look like shit. It's like, wait a minute. Like nobody cares. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. Like it's, it's very easy to get caught up and you know, I find myself, you know, caught up about uh, like a, a bunch of times and then, 
it's like, well, I'm going to work on Monday, and then it's like nobody's going to give a shit about yeah. you know what happened at my show on Friday night anymore. And, yeah, your uh, boss, your boss isn't like, wait a minute, so Psycho Sid couldn't make the shot, huh? Right. Okay. Yeah. No. No. And like, no one cares that somebody's been harassing me on Twitter all weekend. You know, like I, I still, I still have to go to work and just like, uh, you know, just be like a normal person, which is it's. It's good, and it's also like it also really keeps you grounded to reality. You know what I mean? Like especially when you're just like, just like a general like random ass person at your job, and you're just like you. It's it's such like a weird roller coaster to go from like the high of a Friday or a Saturday night, and then like you're waking up at eight o'clock in the morning, and you're like, "Fuck, like this sucks." <laughs> oh, I I say that all the time uh, when I when I was bartending, when you were allowed to go to bars. And I, I'd work like on a, a Monday morning shift or the daytime, and it'd be dead. And I'm like, you know, none more prevalent than the week, the most recent weekend when we had Akron in November, because I go from Saturday February. we have oh February, you're right, February. So we have they're all it's all together, John. Uh, February, so we go Akron. There's like seven, eight hundred people there. And then Sunday, I'm uh, doing the in-arena stuff for the Cleveland Monsters hockey team. And that's, you know, a few thousand people. And then Monday, I'm bartending, and there's three people who walk in, and they give zero shits about me. You know, like, (laughs) what a way to be uh, grounded. Right. And when I remember when I came back to wrestling, it was actually on my 30th birthday in, like, 2016. And I remember I came back uh, at a show, and it was, like, four or 500 fans, and it, the, the match was good. And it was, like, it was a success. So, like, I'm riding that all weekend. I'm like, man, I came back to wrestling. I had a great match. And I was still – I'd gone back to college at that time. And on that Monday morning at 9 a.m., I'm sitting, and I'm just kind of looking at pictures. and starting to post pictures from the show. And I'm like, man, yeah, wrestling. Like, I feel like such a superstar in my mind. <laughs> and I look over to the left, and I see this other student. Uh, and he's just got a pile of used tissues beside his desk, and he's just blowing snot into the tissues, <laughs> just piling them up like right by my foot. I'm like, okay, back, back to life. Like, <laughs> yes. So, so you mentioned, you know, your your wife sees it, and that kind of is a good outlet for you. Can can you kind of, uh, you know, I guess extend on that a little bit or expand on that a little bit? Yeah. Well, I I because I'm lucky in the sense that she's a theater person too. I mean, you know, she's been doing theater since she was like four years old. So like for her whole life, and um, she's a she's an entertainer. So she gets that aspect of it. But before she got with me, she had never seen wrestling before. I mean, she knew who like Ric Flair was and who Hulk Hogan was and The Rock, but like she had never watched it. So when she would watch me at shows or see my promos or videos when I was still trying to figure it all out, I would always be like give me your perspective, like your honest, harsh criticism. Like, what do you think when you see this? And like half the time she'd be like, I don't get it. I don't understand. Doesn't read, doesn't play. What are you trying to do? And it really made me distill all of my ideas down to like that lowest common denominator of wrestling really, which is like, what are you? And show everyone in the audience what you are in the first five seconds of your entrance or the first five seconds of your video and then go from there. So just having that perspective because a lot of guys, especially now, I feel like we're all so into wrestling that we have all these ideas that only people super into wrestling will get, and it doesn't really get over with the wider audience. So as soon as she started giving me those perspectives of like, hey, you know, wrestling's kind of like being in a play. Like, you've been in about a million plays. Just like, think of it that way, and it kind of all clicked in my mind. Yeah, and like, that's kind of, 
the mentality I try to have with AIW as a whole. Like, you know, I, I like wrestling. All the wrestlers like wrestling, but it's really hard to find the general public that likes wrestling. So that's when it's like we need to incorporate the the alcohol and we need to incorporate the, you know, the after parties to kind of uh, grow the community and like do all these little things because, I mean, we've been to a million independent wrestling shows. That's just like. You know, like uh, they come out, they wrestle, and you buy a hot dog that's boiled in water, and you go home. You know, like there's, there, there's really not too much to it, and it's not like a, a sense of community or growth or anything because, you know, like it, it's really hard to get those general public type of people to to care. Like you were saying, like uh, the wrestling fans are always going to be the wrestling fans, but you know that can only that can only take you so far. It's a very small group of people, and it's the same with theater because I run a couple of theaters, and I always tell them because, you know, they'll they'll they have these selection committees to like you know it's basically like a booking committee of like what what shows are we going to do next year, and they want to do all this obscure shit. I'm like, that's great. We can maybe do one of those, but I'd like to sell some tickets. So can we just like put up fucking Annie or something? Because <laughs> <laughs> you need that. Like you have to book Scott Hall. So right. that you can bring yeah. in the people that no one's ever heard of that are probably still going to entertain them, but won't sell a ticket on their own. And that's what uh, a lot of people don't understand is like, they're like, oh, you know, why are you booking these old guys? Like, I don't give a fuck about these old guys. Give me the young guys. And it's like, what you don't understand is like, there's way more people that want to come to meet Scott Hall. And then it's almost like uh, like an infomercial or something. It's like, oh, they're going to tune in to see Scott Hall. And then you're going to sell them something else, you know, like that's, that's the whole plan with the legends and the meet and greets is like, Oh, I want to come meet Ted DiBiase. Oh, like who's this guy? Oh, this is a pretty cool show. Maybe I'm going to come back when Ted DiBiase isn't there and you retain a small percentage of those people. And then it builds up over time. The the different guys, you know, like that's kind of the whole mindset that goes into what we do at AIW and why you see a lot of those, why like, it's such a big deal to have those meet and greet guys there. Well, it just goes to the variety show of wrestling. Like if, if, you know, I, my whole idea going into AIW, um, and I think Steve, you'll probably know this from the movie was to try to not do what anyone else was doing. Right. Because if I started doing what everyone else was doing, then why in the hell do you need me? You know? So, but if every one of your matches was a Magnum CK match, you know, you're limiting your audience, <laughs> you know, so right. you have to have Nick Gage out there doing what he does and have me getting thrown around by swoggle and then having like a great scramble, you know, and it's the same with booking. Like that variety is, is where the money comes from and just a better show. There, there, speaking of Nick Gage, there is a beautiful moment in the documentary. <laughs> and I, I think that you put it kind of like the longer portion of it out on, on social media already. But somebody hands you the huge poster of of you and Nick standing next to you, and he his face lights up. He's so enamored with this, and he thinks it's the, you can tell that he thinks it's the coolest thing in the world, and he's so happy for you well, that this person brought you a poster. Nick Nick Gage, I, I love him. I, I I'll never try to kill his gimmick, but he's just the coolest guy. I just love him. He's, he's a sweetheart of a guy, but. Uh, <laughs> He didn't know what the hell was going on. So he doesn't really keep up with like social media. And, you know, I had announced like five days before that, like, hey, this will be my last show. And and he had no clue. So he just set up his table beside mine. And I just have this big ass line and everyone's taking pictures and thanking me and giving me gifts. And like someone made me an action figure and like I get handed this big, huge poster frame blow up of myself. And he just goes, dude 
the fuck is going on? He's like, <laughs> he's like, bro, you got a longer line than La Parca. <laughs> and I, so I kind of smartened him up, and he's like, oh shit, man. You know, <laughs> but he, the best part was like, I didn't know he didn't know. So there's like a half an hour where he's like, this is the most overdue ever. <laughs> Should have just let him live like that, you know? You should just let it roll. Yeah, just let it go. <laughs> oh, man. And then, you know, so we turned from people who didn't know, like Nick Gage, but uh, there's another poignant moment to surprising people who did know what was going on. And, John Thorne, when you are interviewed in this documentary, Kevin Owens reached out to you. He did, yeah. It's, it was kind of crazy. He sent me a text and was like, you know, what's going on? with uh magnum ck i really like his promos and stuff and i explained to him and like he was like really like genuinely concerned about you know what was happening because he said you know he had followed all the promo stuff that we had put out and like all the different things that magnum had done and uh you know I, i thought that was pretty cool for somebody at that level to be paying attention and you know just having genuine concern for uh another wrestler's well-being i thought that that was uh that was pretty cool and uh i will admit that i absolutely hate being on camera uh i hate it and uh uh i agreed to do it for magnum and uh that's probably another reason why i've put off even watching the watching the movie because i just hate seeing myself talk and i don't know it's just i'm just one of those people that hates watching myself or listening to myself uh, but uh, for Magnum CK, he twisted my arm, and uh, we we got it done. He he came with a full friggin' uh, film crew to the to the AW school, and uh, I was like, okay, here we go. You, well, you did you did great, John. Don't worry. Yeah, I was gonna say first of all, you come across really really well, uh, and, and I feel the same way. So like editing all this, it's a weird thing to watch yourself. Like I kind of had to put my mind. Like I tried to tried to look at this footage as if it was someone else and just th- not get too close to it because it is weird watching yourself because all I ever see is like well that was fucked up or like why'd you go that way or like ah oh, what'd you do that for <laughs> yeah well, so what's it mean to you when you hear something like that though yourself Magnum you know a guy who is basically at the top of the game in WWE reaches out to Thorn and and. He's concerned about it. He wants to know the whole story. Well, in my mind, I think it says a lot more about Kevin than anything else because I've, I've never met him and I've only ever right. heard great things about him. Uh, but that's wrestling has this weird thing, and I experience it in theater a little bit. Uh, and if you're on a film set, maybe a little bit. But and wrestling has this weird way of bonding everyone where um, I know I felt that way. Like I've had full-on friendships and connections with people I've never met just because we're in, we were in the wrestling business and something sure. happens to them and you reach out to them or like just uh, like two days ago because I always talk about like therapy and mental health. I'm pretty open about it. And I got a message from a wrestler I'd never met in my life and just was like, hey, I saw this. And like, is there any advice? Like, what, what should I do? I'm feeling this way and that way. And it's like, you would never do that to someone that you work with or someone at another regional office, but we're all wrestlers. So it's like this brotherhood type of thing where you feel connected. And I honestly think it's because being in the wrestling business feels like almost, and I'm not trying to compare it to this, you know, but it's almost like being in a war sometimes. Like it's like when you bond with your fellow soldiers, you know, like it's just such a stressful 
um, high stakes business that you just feel connected to these people like you're all like disaster survivors or something. Right? Yeah, I mean, it makes sense where you're going with it. You're not, you're not trying I, to say what, yeah. Yeah, I do I think I do think it is interesting though, and I, I've experienced this. Like you know, you won't see somebody in wrestling for years, and you see them, and it's like it, it, not a day has gone by, which I find to be one of the strangest things about being involved in wrestling, because um, you know, like your real life friends, sometimes you grow apart, and you know that's it, and you know you, people just go their separate ways. But in wrestling, it's like you could see somebody in 2005 and not see them again until 2020 and it's like no time has gone by whatsoever you mean like when you were uh tag team champions with a guy and then you don't see him for years you see him a little bit here and there but then all of a sudden you book him for gauntlet for the gold and then a couple years later now you're booking him to be your champion i mean that's a good example but I mean, there's, <laughs> there, there's a million of, of examples like that you know and like yeah. I, you know i think that's the best part of wrestlemania weekend is when you run into all these different people and you share stories and mm-hmm. um you know it's just it, wrestling is just a strange business that it is very hard, you know, going, you know, coming full circle to, you know, if you date a civilian or you're married to a civilian, it is very hard to even uh, like have people and explain to people and have them wrap their head around everything that goes into wrestling and what a strange just business it is altogether. Well, uh, you know, so uh, right after my last match, we did the Harley Race show and I, I was part of the seminar. Uh, for you know, in Akron, and then yeah. uh, exactly, almost exactly a year later, we did another one. And I hadn't been doing, you know, I just hadn't been able to come to an AIW show in a year. And my, I remember my wife was like, "Was it weird walking in?" And I was like, "Not even for a second. Like you walked in, <laughs> and it was like Dom Garini's like, "Hey man, what's going on?" You know, <laughs> right back in it. Like Steve guys like coming up to me, and like, and, and you know, John, like I walk right up, and it's like we just hung out last week or something. So yeah, it's so yeah. it's so strange. It, it like it, it's. You know, uh, uh, going back to even that, it's like it's amazing that your entire run in AIW was like a year and it felt like it had been years, you know what I mean? And not in a bad way. Like it just felt like you had been there forever. And uh, it's it's really amazing that that whole thing kind of happens over the span of a year. Well, I think that this is a good moment here real quick to kind of. I guess backtrack a little bit and how Magnum came into AIW as we talk about because Magnum you brought up the friendships that you create with people and sometimes you haven't met them and one of the tender moments of the documentary is of course how you got into AIW and that's through Chandler Biggins. Yeah in a, in a really strange way and I will say you know editing this film I've probably watched it 25 times and I'm so sick of watching it just from editing and, and watching and make sure everything's good but that's one part of the movie and it's kind of toward the about 20 minutes in we start talking about Chandler and it's one movie that I or one part of the movie I always stop and really and really take in and it's still it's still heavy it's still emotionally very heavy but um, yeah you know not a lot of people know and I didn't even know until Chandler told me that I had a match with AIW in like oh six or something in like some battle royal or in a bar and i had no idea but i was at a remix pro wrestling show and i think i was buying a greg the hammer valentine action figure from chandler for like four dollars <laughs> <laughs> sounds right not sounds my right. proudest moment but i don't regret it uh, 
And uh, he was like, he just mentioned that, you know, you remember you wrestled for AIW and I had no memory of it. And then we sort of connected and started keeping in touch on Facebook. And we never talked about wrestling, oddly enough. We always talked about podcasts and like uh, we were both way into that Richard Simmons podcast where they're trying to find Richard Simmons. <laughs> <laughs> like, we talk about stuff like that. But yeah, it was at a remix wrestling show um, when Chandler had one of the days that they thought he was going to pass, and he ended up pulling through that moment. Um, but John, that's the first day I met you that day. Yeah, you came down with Shayna, and uh, you brought her to the show, and it was just that was such a bummer of a night because you know half the guys on the remix show either had worked for AIW or were currently working. But they, we all knew Chandler, so it was just like this pall was over the evening because we're all like, oh, my God, she's dying in this hospital. And and um, I just remember seeing the show was it was over, and, and John, you were kind of hanging out. And I, I wanted to come say hi, but, you know, the shows you're so busy and everything. And I saw you, you were kind of by the ring by yourself, and I was like, man, I got to go. I, you know, I was just feeling so sad. And so I just I remember talking to you just about Chandler and just, uh, you know, how – sad everything was and kind of getting some info about what he's going through and if he'd passed or if he was pulling through and everything and just one of those real life conversations and nothing came up about wrestling and no one cared about booking i've never been one of those guys who's brother brother in the promoters anyway i mean but i just saw yeah and i think i say it in the documentary i was like i didn't see john Thorne the promoter i saw john Thorne, the dude whose best friend is dying in a hospital and i was just like overwhelmed by it and um and Chandler, I think, had had mentioned me to you in the past a few times. And just after that conversation, my understanding was that you're like, oh, I'm going to find a spot for this guy. Not because I was like lighting it up in the ring, but just because I was just a nice guy. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that's that's really that's, you know, for the for the most part, that's pretty much it. And was it AIW or was it a Cleveland All Pro thing that he said that you had did? Because I, I don't remember you doing AIW. I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. He, he, who knows? I mean, I know he mentioned, he's like, you know, you'd worked for us at some point. So I, oh, know, okay. I, I did New Era and CAPW. And yeah, maybe you were just other... like a, you were a guy that was around for, for some. There were some weird times back in those days. But, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, that was a very weird day for me. Um, I'll never forget it because, you know, when this whole, uh, just to give like how quick the Chandler thing kind of, at least at that time started and ended up kind of being a, a somewhat of a, a tough couple months. But, um, you know, when Chandler had booked, had gotten Shayna booked for remix and the whole intention was he was going to drive her cause he always, he went to every remix show and he's going to drive her back. And, you know, Shayna ends up having a delayed flight and missing our show, she she doesn't even land in Cleveland until like one o'clock in the morning. Yeah, and you know Chandler's in the hospital by this point for you know a couple weeks, maybe like three weeks at this point, we'll say. And uh, you know everything is looking like he's going to pull through. And I had visited him a few times, and then um, I get a call from his mom in the morning, and it's like it's really it's it's looking bad, like somebody had not gotten alerted that he had stopped breathing in the night and you know they were thinking he you know had some brain problems and you know they thought that he may be brain dead they had to resuscitate him and I, it's just like it's so heavy because it's like i can't not take shana to her booking and you know it's just like it so shana and i ended up going to visit him and it was like kind of like a this is going to be the last time thing and uh you know that's and it was it was rough to see, you know, like his, his eyes were open, but his, like his, 
pupils or whatever they were like rolled back into his head and it was like that was like a very heavy thing to go and witness and uh then have to drive three hours and it was just like it was the weirdest car ride i've ever been in in my life because you know like shana was cool with us and everything but that's like a heavy thing to go and witness you know and i always thank shana for at least coming into that room with me because that was a really tough thing to see and you know chandler's mom is there and like then we go to remix and it is just like you know it's brutal because i gotta you know everyone's asking me these questions and it's just like dude you do like if you saw what i like based on that i thought that he was dead that moment just based on what i saw and it's just like people are talking to me and it's just like i mean that was one of the most shocking things i've ever seen in my entire life as you know as a human and i remember specifically you know you were genuinely concerned and i had like i knew who you were but at that time i didn't know who you were you were just a guy like that was you know coming up and talking to me about it and i was just like you know that always kind of just stuck with me and you know chandler had always been pitching you to other promoters up here you know he'd pitch you to traxler and he pitched you to all these other guys and i was like you know what like it's the last thing I do. I'm going to, I'm going to find something for this guy because especially like at that moment in time, like I thought that he was going to die within a few hours and he ended up kind of stick, sticking it out for a few months, uh, from that point. But, uh, just from that moment on, I was just like, you know, you know what, like I'm going to find something for Magnum CK. Well, I I don't think, you know, we've all lost people, but I, I don't know why exactly, but when Chandler, because, you know, when he got sick, it's not like he was hopping on Facebook Messenger and keeping in touch with everybody. But right. I don't know that there's ever been a person that I tried to personally, like, will back into good health as much as him. Because I was sending him messages and being like, hey, man, the last episode of the Richard Simmons podcast is coming out. Like, I can't wait to talk about it with you. Like, you're going to get on the other side. <clears throat> and I even sent him... I had an artist uh, friend of mine make a, a drawing of uh, Terry Funk and Ric Flair's I Quit match. And I sent a little note that was like, don't quit, you know, kick out, brother, type of thing. And I thought, like, oh, that's going to, we're going to get a good laugh out of this. Um, and it, I know his mom told me that, you know, she showed it to him and everything. But like, I never, as bad as everything got, in my mind, I just assumed, well, but he's going to be back. Yeah. And that's, yeah. That, fo- that photo was actually on display at his, uh, at his wake. Um, wow. you know, it was, uh, uh, he had texted me right before like it happened and he was like, I'm going to be fine. You know, like he explains everything that's wrong. And, um, you know, the way he's talking to me, like, I, I think, you know, I'm going to talk to him in a couple days, you know, and like he couldn't have been more chill about the whole thing. And, uh, you know, that was really like the last time that he ever spoke to me ever, you know, cause even when I went and saw him, he was kind of like, he couldn't speak. He had like tubes in his mouth. He could like, uh, you know, like he could kind of like, uh, you know, I don't know, like do things with his hands and communicate that way. And, um, yeah, that, that was just like such a weird time that is, uh, I don't, I don't know if haunting is the proper term, but like it kind of haunts me like those memories uh, from time, from time to time. It's, it's crazy to think if, you know, if you're someone that believes in, um, I don't want to say fate, but something higher, just the things working in certain ways. You have Chandler who always felt like he knew what AIW fans would love 
and appreciate, right? And it's almost like this was one of his last gifts to multiple people because like John, you said he tried to get Magnum booked in other promotions. And it was a thing that he always just tried to do. He always tried to get other people work and help people out. And this was a gift. It's like, it was a gift to Magnum. Like, here you go, man, we're going to get you booked here. And it's a gift to the fans because for that one year's time, they were so enamored with Magnum. That's like, yeah, this is the kind of guy that Chandler would love. And he would know that the fans would love. And, you know, that somehow gets felt through you, John, and and that's why we're all sitting here right now. It's just, well, it's crazy how that goes. Yeah, and I think it's important to keep that into perspective uh, because I don't consider, I'm not a religious person per se, but um, I always did a weird thing at AIW shows, and, and I, did, I didn't do this everywhere, but I remember, actually, I remember where I was the night, I was at a wrestling show somewhere else the night that I found out uh, that he'd passed, and I did this that night, but I also did this every AIW show I ever wrestled, and I think we even have it on, might have it on film somewhere, but I would always go to a corner of the room uh, in my cape and everything, like right before I went out, and I would just kind of lean against the wall and just kind of like, I don't know, I've never said this before, I don't think, but just kind of talk to him. Like, I don't know, it was weird, because I, I just like, this is AIW, this is kind of his home, and I'm like, you're here, like, you know, I hope, hope you enjoy it, buddy. Like, we're going to go have some fun type of thing. And it just always was comforting to think about his, like, presence or his energy lasting after he'd passed passed on or whatever. Do you think that that's part of what got you so over and so, uh, you know, had the fans so emotionally invested with you that, like, you already felt what AIW was supposed to be? And you, I mean, you kind of knew what these people, I guess, wanted to feel? Well, you know, maybe, not, but not on purpose at the beginning, because honestly, I thought that I was going to be a big fat flop. I mean, I really thought <laughs> that, you know, it was a big chance in my mind to try to go this other way and just try to be the sports entertainer, you know, and do all the Terry Funk spots and goof around a little bit. But, yeah. um, you know, I didn't think it was going to work. And then when I watched the footage of that first match I had and within the first five minutes they're chanting my name and stuff and i was like okay well maybe this is working let me put on a figure four on the post like bret hart oh they like that let me put on an indian deathlock oh they like old wrestling too <laughs> you know <laughs> so, uh, but i think it does come from a place of um just open you have you have to know yourself well enough and open up yourself well enough to connect to the audience you have to bring down that barrier of i'm a, I'm a performer and you know watch what i do and be more of a, hey, I'm a performer, but you're here too, and let's make this show together. And I think that that's what's helped me click with specifically AIW audience, because I don't think I've ever been as well-received anywhere else in the world than Cleveland. <laughs> <laughs> maybe Akron now, right? Uh, <laughs> maybe maybe worldwide after this movie comes out on Thursday. That's right. Oh, I know. <laughs> That's right, yeah. And we'll shoot that reminder here in case you forgot what we're talking about and why we're having him on. We're talking about a lot of things, but we've got Magnum CK on, and uh, his documentary, uh, Magnum's Opus, comes out. Is the sequel to the first documentary, Marking Out. Uh, it comes out this Thursday, April 9th, and you can check it out on YouTube or Amazon Prime. Uh, I will never forget, Magnum, when we were discussing building this thing and it wasn't yet called the production for Frankie Flynn. That was a name that came shortly thereafter. Uh, but we're discussing this this group and this f- faction, theater-based or, or film-based somehow. You know, somehow this old-school entertainment-style-based thing. And, uh, you know, Thorne tells us about 
you know, we're going to have this guy, Magnum CK. He's in. It's great. You know, wanted to get him to work. And I think Dom had already known who you were, and, and he was super on board with it as well and had seen you work. And uh, and then Thorne goes, man, this is going to work out perfectly. He goes, I tried to give this guy dates, and he's in theater productions all summer. Like, I can't even get him on the shows. <laughs> that was I, – I, I have a flashball memory of that too because uh, I remember where I was because I was mortified because – I'd gotten a message from John, and I was like, oh, my God, like, John Thorne just messaged me. Like, I was telling my wife, I was like, I just got a message from John Thorne. She's like, what's to say? I'm like, I don't know. I'm too nervous. Like, I don't know. Like, I think it's about AIW. I don't know. She's like, read it. And uh, he sent me some dates. It was like the next four dates, and the first one was in August, and it was Absolution 12. And yeah. he's like, yeah, we're going to have Arn Anderson. And I'm like, oh, my God, yeah, 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 that's perfect. That's perfect. Yes, absolutely. Can't wait. And then I looked because I uh, signed a summer contract to be in a production of Hairspray. And it was like one of their performances. And I like my whole like soul fell out of my ass. I was like, oh, <laughs> oh my God, like this opportunity is going to go away. And I had to like message John and be like, Hey, buddy, I can't come to Absolution. <laughs> and he's like, oh, damn, that's our big one. I was like, I know. <laughs> and uh, I think we just kind of punted to the next month. But there was that moment where I was like, well, there it is, dumbass. Like, you, you finally got your shot, and now you can't do it because you overbooked yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think, John, you can correct me if this was part of the plan or it changed up a little bit. Instead, what happens is at Absolution that year, it's, uh, it's Frankie – and PB, and uh, there's a part of his promo where PB says, you're going to need your whole ca- a whole cast to defeat me. And we get introduced to uh, Derek, director, instead of Derek, direction. And I want to say Colby Red at the time. They come in. They are part of Frankie's cast. And then it's a month or maybe a couple months later, they we have a match, and those guys are barred. They're not allowed ringside. And then the crowd officially unofficially gets introduced to Magnum CK because you come out through the crowd. Yeah, and well, and nobody knew who I was, <laughs> like, <laughs> well, rightfully so. I, but I it kind of worked out because it separated me from the group in a weird way. Right. I think um, at Absolution, maybe we have somebody else. It, like, it was supposed to happen at Absolution, so then we pivot, and I think that's how other guys get into the group, maybe, yeah. like Derek or whoever. And then... Um, Whenever you started, you know, you came in and you laid up, you laid out PB, um, and everyone's like, "Who's who's this guy?" And then, I believe your first match was going to be at Hell on Earth, and you just started sending me these weird videos, like, <laughs> like these super weird videos in New York City, and I was like, "What the fuck is this guy? What are these?" Like, you couldn't look away, but I was also like, "These are so weird." <laughs> yeah, well, that was- because it was PB Smooth, and I was trying to think, like, oh, I should do a promo. I'm going to New York. Let me do some promos. And I was like, what if I just ate a jar of peanut butter and never said a word? <laughs> <laughs> and that's what well, happened. Yeah, and I said I wanted to be different, and I went, I definitely went all in on that. On that one. <laughs> it, was, it was different, but it also, you know, your promos, I think, helped elevate other people's promos Mm. and i don't think just in aiw to be honest i think that it was something that a lot of people started talking about elsewhere or guys from aiw who were elsewhere would retweet them because they love them so much and talk about them and it comes at it maybe maybe it's coincidence maybe i'm wrong but uh, i I think that it impacted some of them because then it, it comes at a time and we start seeing more and more creativity in the promos that get put out online before people have matches. 
Well, like, I would I would hope that that would be the case. Uh, it's very nice to say, but you know, honestly, what clicked is when I stopped trying to do wrestling promos because uh, it's very easy to fall into the uh, I always call it the because tonight because every wrestler, every indie wrestler is like <laughs> because tonight, blah blah blah. Like who cares? Uh, I just tried to look at it more as um, just create from a creative standpoint of like how can i say this in the most creative but simple way and mm-hmm. just challenging myself to try to do something different every time which was mind uh busting honestly like my wife can tell you like i was just like because all week i'd be like i gotta do a promo by friday like oh geez what am i gonna do what am i gonna do just like trying to figure out how to do something different from last time but that's good because i never got comfortable i always try to do something very different but it's always like find that real part of yourself that, that you're feeling and then turn it into how the character feels, right? So it's like we're all narcissistic in some sense because we're taking off our shirts and expecting people to pay $12 to watch us fake wrestle each other. <laughs> but I don't, but so you take that little kernel of narcissism in your brain and turn it way up into bad guy mode and you're like, you know, that, that's when you start tapping into real emotions. Do you think, you know, you, you said something like challenging. Do you think that when you came to AIW, it it did challenge you mentally from the, you know, the West Virginia, like, oh. front of 15 fans, like, just, you know, it, it's easy to get into, like, autopilot mode as a wrestler. Like, no matter where you're at, you're doing the same thing, it don't matter, and, you know, on to the next one. Uh, yeah. Do you think that, you know, it did challenge you? Because you were putting a lot of time into to a lot of these promos. Well, without a doubt, absolutely, because it's always like uh, like when I did like improv training, it'd always be like whatever scares you, like go that direction because that's how you start growing. And my thought with AIW is it was always such a big goal of mine, and I knew that I kind of had one shot, right? It's like you know, I, if I bungle this now, it's probably not going to come back around again. So I took it; I it was elevated so much in my mind that it was like a lot of preparation, a lot of thought went into it and a lot of second guessing, which can, can be bad, but in this case was good because I can't tell you how many videos I just threw away because my wife was like, what is it? I don't get it. And I'm like, okay, okay, I'll try it again. I'll try it again. <laughs> you know, and I come up with something else. But also, even if you watch, like I, cause I watched, I've now watched all of my AIW matches cause I've made this documentary every time I, I kept just enough of stuff the same so that you knew what the flavor of Magnum CK was. But every single time I tried to do something different because I'm like, well, they saw that last time. So how can I mix it up? And I could totally see why some of my friends like Matt justice uh, is jumping off of balconies and stuff like, because <laughs> you jump off the top rope and you're like, great. Now what? Oh, there's this balcony. Let me jump off of that. It's like, well, now what? Let me go off the bill. You know? So like it does challenge you to keep pushing, pushing, pushing. Um, but I can, yeah, you're right. Like it's very easy in, in nothing against West Virginia, but when I'm in, you know, the, just an example, <laughs> like bud West Virginia fairgrounds or whatever the hell. Uh, and I'm just doing my honky tonk man match eight times a year. Yeah, like <laughs> you're not going to grow as a performer. <laughs> I, I think, you know, I, I think that's an interesting thing, though, that you just said. And I think that uh, more wrestlers need to have that mindset in the you only have one shot. You know, this is my only chance. Like so many wrestlers are just like, this is just a booking, like whatever. You know, I'll get another one. And it's like, I think, and it's not just AIW, I think if wrestlers applied that mentality to every booking, they would get so much further so much quicker because you put pressure on yourself for better or worse. You put the pressure on yourself to succeed. There was no other option for you but to succeed. And I think 
that showed and that kind of helped you be accepted by the AIW audience so quickly because you were putting so much pressure on yourself to stand out and be different and be original. Um, you know, I, I think if other wrestlers did that all the time, they would, you know, like you, you've been in locker rooms and you see how there's just this contingent of guys like, Hey man, whatever, you know, I'm going to, you know, uh, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania tomorrow, you know, it's just another weekend, you know, like uh, so many people, if they just applied themselves a little more, you know, not to sound like a, a guidance counselor or something, but <laughs> You know, if if these wrestlers put that mindset behind it, what they do, I think so many people would get so much further. Well, and I I never relax, or I never relax. Like, um, so if I wasn't on AIW the week before on the show in the middle of bumfuck whatever, I was trying out the stuff that I wanted to do at AIW the next week. <laughs> you know, it's like, and I would be like, oh, well, shit, that didn't work. But now I know it didn't work, and I failed in front of eight people, so now I can succeed in front of thousands who will be watching. You know, so uh, I think that it, it always bugs me when I'll go to a smaller show and I'll see guys messing around. And, and, and I get it, it's a looser environment. You can have a little more fun, but they're not taking it seriously or they're not putting on their gear. Or, the, you know, like I went to a show one time where a guy was like, yeah, there's not enough fans out there for me to put on my gear. And he went out in his dress pants. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> what? They paid money too, man. So like, if you're not, if it's not the opportunity like AIW or like when I had matches with like Evolve and stuff like that, I, I consider those opportunity shows, they're preparation shows. It's like I did a steel cage match 10 minutes from my house in front of 41 and a half people. I was trying stuff out. <laughs> yeah. In, in a weird way, do you think, and, and you're such a mental health advocate, anybody who follows you, but in a weird way, do you think that some of these diagnoses that you had almost benefited like helped you in terms of that mind frame to become well, as good as what you're doing i mean if you ask me at the time it de definitely doesn't feel like a help when i'm in, stuck in an ocd thought sure about something but yeah absolutely my wife talks about it in the documentary i think where she's just like you know he gets stuck in thought patterns about certain things but never so much as he does with wrestling because it's just like we're on vacation and I have a show two days after we get back from vacation, and all I'm thinking about is the promo and what I'm going to do. And it's just like, do, 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 over and over and over in my head. And that can be miserable, but once I started to learn how to try to tame that and use that instead of let it that mentality use me, I just started being more creative and coming up with stuff. You know, you just set boundaries where it's like, all right, I'm only going to think about my match with Philly and Marino seven times today and then i have to be done <laughs> <laughs> and, and to kind of go back to what we were talking about earlier that is kind of the the bad part about dating or marrying a civilian is uh when you can't when you can't disengage from the wrestling right you know and like you can't disengage and it's like well that's all you think about that's all you want that's all you care about is wrestling and like we're on vacation we're at this great place and you know like that is the hard part of trying to manage that, you know, when you are, you know, with a quote unquote civilian person that's outside of the wrestling business, yeah. because that can be taxing on the relationship too. You know, like it's uh it is a very weird kind of, uh, I, I guess like juggling act that you have to, that you have to do. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Magnum, you said something very uh, poignant that I, I want to throw out there. You know, as a, we mentioned that you're such an advocate for mental health, and you were talking about setting boundaries and setting limits. And, and I just want to utilize this 
platform because I'm sure we have people who struggle with that kind of stuff. Uh, I know that's easier said than done, but are there some, um, I don't know, suggestions or helpful things that you can give along those lines because you were able to channel it towards something? Is that, is that kind of one of the answers is, is channel it? Well, yes, uh, for sure. I mean, a couple of things. I mean, first of all, I don't want to turn anything into a public service announcement. No, no, but it's a good but, moment to take. But, yeah, but, you know, I always recommend therapy. I think, it's, I think it works, and I think it's good, and it helps you customize your life. But, um, I'm a, like, for instance, I do have obsessive-compulsive disorder, and not, not like the Facebook kind where it's like, oh, man, I really just have to have my picture straight on the wall. It's like, <laughs> no, uh, I have a job interview, and I'm going to think about it 4,000 times tonight and not get any sleep. You know, it's like that type. Um, so having that creative outlet has been great for me now like for instance right now we're all on lockdown quarantine and I've been editing a documentary for 200 hours that's now over so I'm like well I can't go anywhere (laughs) so what the hell do I do now right so it, it is about understanding once you understand what your issues are and that you have that mentality where you get stuck and you obsess once you make peace with that and understand it, you can start to deal with it. So I've had to tell, even now, I'm not even wrestling. I think about promos every day. <laughs> I, I have a match idea or a promo idea every day. So what's worked for me is write it down. Stop thinking about it. I, I never thought I'd be a person with a journal. And I don't, mm-hmm. and it's not like a dear diary, but it's almost like a thought journal where it's like, I've thought about this about five times. So I'm going to get out my book. I'm going to write it down. I'm just going to be say how I'm feeling about it. And then it's out of my brain and it's on the paper and I don't have to keep it up in my brain anymore. Yeah, I think that's great. I think you just diagnosed me with obsessive compulsive disorder because I'm going, nu- <laughs> I'm going nuts with no shows and nothing to uh, nothing to focus my you know extra attention on. It's uh, it's dri- it's driving me nuts. Like it's like my brain is like blanked out right now because I just have nothing to do. I, I feel like it's fair to say that people involved in wrestling or something uh, who are extremely involved from a creative standpoint maybe have some sort of undiagnosed mental health <laughs> issue going on there, right? Do you feel like that? that's fair to say, man? Yeah, I think anyone who's drawn to, you know, slicing their forehead with a razor blade may, maybe maybe have some little something <laughs> going on. But no, I, I think, and John, like kind of speaking to your point, that, that obsession can be transferable. So my plan is I've got this documentary done. I'm just going to move on to something else, even if that's even if that's like trying to figure out how I can help myself when everything gets back to normal, if it's diving into some some self-help type of things, mental health type of things, or if it's just, hey, I'm going to play a video game for four days and then I'm going to be relaxed. Like, you know, I get obsessed with that. So uh, it's a little different from you because, dude, I don't know how you do it where you like, you ride the lightning every day. Like being a promoter, my favorite quote, my, my favorite quote about wrestling promoters is from you, John, where you're like, um, I, I live a nightmare so that everyone else can live their dream <laughs> I, mean, I mean it's it's true you know and it's like it's like so the most uh, it's like the most un um i'm trying to think with with the the unlucrative gambling that you could ever do you know like like there's just like it's just like gambling on stuff and like i just i never i never get my payoff you know i just keep doubling down on the next thing and like everyone else is walking out with their envelopes and like just like one day i'm gonna have one you know like one day i'll get one 
you know, I, I just, it's, it's an inexplainable obsession, you know, but it's just like my, my life sometimes is a nightmare, which maybe this time off is going to kind of give me a little bit of rest on that. Like, uh, because you know, it's just like, I was trying to fight this whole COVID-19 outbreak thing, like canceling shows. Like I was, I, I was waiting till the very, till the very end, you know, to like, cause I, I just did not want to cancel, but you know, once that bandaid was kind of ripped off for me, it was somewhat of a relief, you know, because it was just like, there was nothing more that I could possibly do. And, uh, you know, now it's just kind of like a waiting game. It, it has, it has felt kind of like a, a weight has been lift off, lifted off my shoulders because it's just like, I don't even have to worry about rescheduling things right now because it's just like, nobody knows, you know, we could, this could be over in a month. This could be over in 12 months, 18 months, six months. So, uh, it, it's just trying to find things to do with my time, you know, because when everything does open back up, it's just going to be like a just monsoon of fucking yeah. like work and trying to coordinate things. And that is going to be probably the, the biggest nightmare I've ever lived, honestly. But <laughs> yeah. So take advantage of that time off. And, and I think one of the hardest things to deal with for someone like you and for a performer, for a wrestler is the fear of missing out. Right. So like if you, if you just decided to take four months off of wrestling promotion, all you would see is where everyone else went to work, whatever, who everyone else was booking. Oh my God, the guy down the road got Sid to show up. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, and as a wrestler, same thing. It's like, if you take four months off for an injury, it's why none of us ever take time off for injuries because you lose your spot. Someone else takes it. But now the good thing is there's no fear of missing out because no one's doing shit. Right. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, and that, and that is, uh, you know, the, the FOMO or whatever, that is an interesting kind of way to look at it because, you know, it's funny, like, uh, right when like this whole you know we're locked down thing started i'm like okay i'm hitting it hard on the patreon you know and like i started like getting podcasts and doing content and going through all this shit and then this week hit and you know it's wrestlemania week and i got kind of depressed that i'm just like i ain't doing nothing and like i i experienced that fomo even though nobody is there you know it's like so much could be going on. Like I could be doing this or that, or, you know, I'm, I'm looking at all this stuff from last year and I'm just like, so bummed out about it. And then I watched WrestleMania yesterday and I was like, well, I guess I didn't miss that much. Right. Like, you know, and now I'm kind of, here I am, I'm podcasting again, you know, I'm back, I'm back in the game. <laughs> well, let's, uh, let's on that note, let's shift gears into uh, some more fun stuff. Magnum, you had said that you were an AIW fan before even coming to AIW. Um, had you had you attended shows or did you watch them? Uh, I, I had not there? I had not attended, but uh, okay. I, I always kept up with it. You know, so I wrestled for Johnny uh, for, for JT Lightning, right? Um, you know, in in oh six oh seven. Uh, so I'd always kind of had a soft spot for Cleveland. Um, I always liked JT. Uh, and he wrestled for my uncle. He had his first match actually for my uncle in like 1994 or something. So I always had a connection with Cleveland in general. And I just always liked the vibe of AIW because, um, you know, you would have these like, you'd have like an ultra violent mixed gender match and then uh -huh. you have like bunkhouse buck, 
<laughs> and right. that is me that's my brand like that was like so on brand for me and it just always in my mind is it was just such a big deal and such a just a perfect spot and it's funny because it's one of the few times in my life because i see this all the time like i'll have friends in theater or even in wrestling who think like uh like for, for theater they'll say like oh i've always wanted to play this role and oh my god it's my dream role and you're like dude you're not even close to right for that role like you don't even know what's good for you and you'll never get that role but I always had this instinct that AIW was the place for me and I'm damned if I wasn't right <laughs> <laughs> it might have it might have might have been a good hunch there well, well I always I always followed the the uh, JLIT announcements and yeah. even though I I never had talked to Chandler or John about booking up there but I always like was like what if my picture just popped up <laughs> what did what did that mean to you when it did I lost my mind. I lost my mind. Uh, because, I mean, I was working for AI, for, you know, for AIW yeah. at the time, but I didn't know what my match was. And I remember, again, I remember exactly where I was. I was standing in my kitchen and uh, it just popped up that, you know, you'd been tagged on Twitter or, or Instagram. And I was like, I pulled it up and it was a picture of me next to a picture of Swoggle. And it said, Jaylet. I was like, oh my God. I like, sent it to my wife immediately and she knew what it meant to me. But it was a surreal moment. And I screen capped it like four times. And like, <laughs> <laughs> What uh, what were some of your? We'll we'll talk about moments and matches, but let's start with the full on matches. What were some of your favorite matches? That night at JLit was Swaggle. Yeah, unforgettable because it was <laughs> the best and the worst at the same time. Because I think, and you guys chronicled this on the podcast, one of my favorite episodes ever. Uh, because supposedly Swaggle says he didn't know he was wrestling that night. He thought it was the next night, so he's like, "Pit your pants." <laughs> drunk no, that's, there's no way he was in the tournament so I show up he, he was drunk though well yeah so I show up in the building and Ethan Page is like it's gonna be a long night buddy <laughs> like what do you mean he's like hey why don't you go say hi to Swoggle <laughs> Swoggle turns around rips off his shirt and starts smacking his biceps like Ric Flair is like Magnum come on come on lock it up <laughs> I was like oh my god <laughs> and then what made it worse what because it was fun because we taught we just gel we 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 are of the same mind in wrestling and so we talked out a nice fun little match but the problem was he quit drinking so then you know, three hours later, when it was time for a match, he crashed. So then he starts trying to take pre-workout to try oh, that's right. to come back up. And I, and then right before we go out, he's like, "I think I'm gonna puke. I'm gonna fucking puke." <laughs> like, oh my god, Swoggle, no! And then of course, I hit him with the clipboard or the um, the, the clapper. Oh, the clapper, yeah, uh, and a clapboard. And I accidentally hit him with the wooden part too, and he got like a gash on his head. And I was like, "This night's a disaster." But when you watch the little five-minute match. It's just, it's perfect. And, and it's exactly what I would want from a match with Swoggle. And, you know, we got to wrestle each other a bunch of times after that. Because we'd been in some, like, tag team matches before that at other yeah. places. And um, that's when he told me, because every time we would wrestle, Dylan would walk up and be like, I have this idea. I don't know if you're going to go for it. But involves me throwing you by your nipples, <laughs> and I and every, no matter what he said, I'm like love it, love it. And then I would have like five other ideas on top of it, and he's like, that's why, that's why you're my favorite wrestler. That's why you're my favorite wrestler. <laughs> that, I believe that was the uh, the night the lat spreads were born, and, uh, yeah. and um, 
I mean, he was something. He was something else. I I think that what happened was we were drinking earlier in the day, and he so he can't drink whiskey. That's the thing. That's the thing that really puts him over the top. It's not. I mean, he's gonna get drunk because he drinks. At the time, he would not stop, but he would do this occasionally where he thought it was funny to be a dick. And he would drink my drink when I'd walk away to go to the bathroom or something like we're getting lunch during the day. And so by doing that, he did it that day, did it like two or three times on top of drinking his drinks. And I'm like, what are you doing, dude? And he always tell me, he's like, whiskey makes me drunker than anything. Don't let me drink whiskey. I'm like, you just did it just to be a dick. And like, and, and now here we are, man. Yeah, like, who's the joke on at that point? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I mean, that was, who can, I, I believe that you guys actually had like, uh, eight to 10 minutes on that match <laughs> and it goes, it goes five, but well, we're all like, uh, we're all like, love it. Yeah. Because it was Jay you know, so there's like 12 matches because it's yeah. the tournament. And then it was like, it's like 1130 and they still had Janella <laughs> and Janetti. And right before we went out, Swaggle's like, we had a couple other little sections of the match. He's like, why don't we cut those sections? I was like, perfect, love it. Let's in and out. Like, come on, like, let's not pretend like this is going to be some like Dean Malenko five-star classic. Let's go out. <laughs> let's fall down. I'll sell for the invisible man, and then we'll go home. Like, <laughs> it, But it, it was a classic in its own right. People people loved that match on that night. Uh, what, are, what are some other favorite matches that you had? Well, you know, a great learning experience for me was when I first started working for AIW, um, I was with basically all younger guys. Like uh, yeah. we, we were doing the no consequences versus the production thing. So the first time we all wrestled each other, I wasn't confident enough in my spot or in my ability to kind of take the lead on planning and working at the match and kind of leading everything. So mm-hmm. they were, I just remember the first one was kind of a clusterfuck. And I was just like, uh, and, and I think Johnny was there that night, Johnny Gargano. And he's like, yeah, I like the elements, but it kind of just felt like a series of car crashes. And I was like, okay, okay. So the next month, I think we were all booked again. And I took the lead and not in like a dickhead way, but I was like, all right, here's my idea. Here's the formula. Everybody wants you plug in your spots. And uh, Josh uh, Prohibition was there kind of watching because I think he saw the train wreck from the month before and uh, <laughs> he just watched and then I remember after everyone walked away he's like that was brilliant perfect like that when you handled that super well and our matches got a lot better after that because it just needed someone with a little experience kind of taking the lead and uh, I was that was the first time I'd been that person and that made me grow so I have fond memories of those matches just because they made me a better performer I stretched myself all right so we talk about uh, moments. Let's go into that. I know one was the nipple toss. Uh, <laughs> what are the, some singular moments that you're just you're always going to take away? Uh, just uh, the entrance. So uh, okay. about a week before AIW, I was on some little spot show in the middle of Ohio, and my wife was with me, and I just wanted to make her laugh. So I um, I played that Andy Kaufman song. Uh, I had them play it like three times during my entrance and I just put my arms out and took forever to get to the ring and I got like this 
uh, I got this nuclear heat from the fans. You know, <laughs> both both of the fans that were there, uh, <laughs> they both hated me. And uh, and I threw a guy's hat, which I never knew I was allowed to do. <laughs> and I don't know that I am. But um, that next week, I was at AIW for the first time, and the guardrail so close to the ring on that one side, and I just started paintbrushing people in the face. And I thought, well, I'm going to get my ass kicked. But they thought it was funny, and they loved it. And yeah. so just doing that entry. And like in Akron, last time we were in Akron on the pre-show, I did my entrance and it was just the same. Like even some of those people don't know who I am, but I still got a great reception. And uh, just that doing that entrance, it, I, I did that entrance everywhere after I started doing an AIW and never felt the same as it does in Cleveland. That's your high spot, brother. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Well, that's what PB was saying uh, backstage at Akron because, you know, they had the, the tryout matches or whatever but before I went out to do my little promo. And, you know, those guys, when you're trying out, they're busting their asses and they're doing all these high spots and landing on each other's necks. And really, I mean, kudos to them. They're they're going for it. And PB's like, look at these motherfuckers. They're all landing on their necks. Magnum's going to go out and put his arms out and get more over than everybody. <laughs> 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 Uh, I'm trying to think what was so that Jayla weekend you advanced and I'm trying to remember who was in that second match with you. Uh, it was Matt Justice, Gangrel, and MJF. Ah, it was, and uh, thoughts on that, thoughts on that mixture. Well, it was awesome because Gangrel's <laughs> the coolest dude ever. And the first thing Gangrel was like, "Hey, brother, you want to give me like a clothesline or a suplex on the floor?" And I was like, "No, <laughs> I don't." <laughs> I it's don't a, want to do that to you. <laughs> he was going for it. I love him, bro. He was all in, man. Well, it's funny. Just some of the moments are the ones you don't see because um, standing back behind the curtain, I've had these moments both with Jeff Jarrett and with Gangrel at AIW where you're just kind of stuck waiting for the match before yours to end and you're just uh -huh. standing there talking and Gangrel's like, yeah, 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 you know, uh, when I, I'm living in Florida, but, you know, I used to direct porno down there and all this. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, what was the spot again? Where did we start? What are we talking about? <laughs> what did you say about Luna? <laughs> <laughs> Got to get his energy drink, man. Fanging and banging. Fanging and banging. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess uh, as as we wind it down, you know, do we have any more, you know, just anything else that you want to cover? I mean, there's just, uh, we could talk for hours probably. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, and I, you know, hopefully uh, things will work out, and whether it's social distancing or otherwise, I've always wanted to be on the show. Like, that's the thing, that's a kind of a mark-out moment for me, because I've always wanted to be on uh, this podcast. So this is a, a like a bucket list item for me. But, you know... I, I, th I hope people watch the documentary. I think it's a it's a pretty big love letter to AIW and wrestling in general, but especially AIW. And I'm thankful that I have those moments and that they're all on video and chronicled because it's a pretty. I think when you watch the documentary, that final match is a pretty surreal experience uh, for me personally, and, I, and it's captured on video. But um, I. I'm glad that I feel like I have some sort of open door type policy with AIW and uh, I'm not, I don't think I'll ever be done with being a part of what AIW is in, in any form that I can. So I don't look at this movie as a goodbye or a retirement and Steve, I don't know. It, I don't think it feels that way at the end. It's just more like, no. hey, here's the story. Here's the end of this chapter and uh, moving on. Yeah, I, I think it's, uh, like you said, it's a nice little love letter uh, to everything, and I, and I think that it was a great job of that. Um, John Thorne, before we let him go, there are two times in the history of the w weird world 
that you said, yep, that's who you got to work all the time. One of those is PME. And uh, who was your other favorite to make Ma- the... Uh, Magnum, man. He was, he was fucking... <laughs> he was bumping around like he was Tully Blanchard making... Uh, <laughs> Making uh, Worldwide look like fucking uh, Magnum TA out there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's funny uh, because I think you tweeted something like that. Like, you know, like Magnum, uh, Worldwide Magnum's making you look like Tully Blanchard out there. But like that, I always like working with Worldwide just because he's such a big personality. But that's always my goal in wrestling. And if everyone has that goal of like whether you're Flair or whether you're Hogan, you're trying to make the other person look good. Flair's trying to make Hogan look like he's an unstoppable monster. Hogan's trying to look, make Flair look like he's a, a son of a bitch who's going to cheat and win. I better keep my eye on him. So my thought was make all these people look as good as they can. It doesn't make you a jobber. It just makes everybody over. <laughs> yeah, and I think, that's, I think that's really a lost art in today's wrestling, honestly. Yeah, well, I think that's a, that's a great jumping off point, ending point, I should say, uh, as we... We'll wind this thing down, wrap it up, tie a bow on it, as uh, Chandler Biggins always used to like to say. Uh, thanks so much for joining us, Magnum. And once again, everybody, make sure you check out. It's free, so you really have no excuse. If you like wrestling, uh, go on YouTube or Amazon Prime. Thursday, April 9th, it is released. Magnum's Opus, and uh, it's it's on your YouTube, I would presume. Magnum, what's the YouTube channel they should look for? Or they could just type in Magnum's yeah, Opus. Yeah, yeah, it's on the Super Studio YouTube page. Okay. Yeah, it'll it'll be it'll pop up. And I just want to thank you both for letting me get to the heart of the matter. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, we'll have you uh, we'll have you on in a couple months. We'll get to the heart of the matter of the uh, the total gross of Magnum's Opus. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> we will uh, we will break that down. Uh, one thing maybe you could consider is uh, releasing maybe some physical copies with some extras or something. Get a little extra income down there for you. Yeah, I think I'll do that. I'll just, I'll start showing up and uh, setting up a gimmick table at AI. Yeah, you know, we'll, we'll oh, bring yeah. you up. We'll do. You know, uh, we're running out of meet and greets, so you know, we'll, <laughs> yeah. we'll bring you up there. You'll have your movie. Uh, maybe we'll. Uh, I, I don't think we can afford to run a theater, but maybe we can get like a projection screen and some chairs yeah. or something, and uh, you know, we'll do a little red carpet premiere up here. I'll bring a portable DVD player. We'll all gather around. Be really quiet. I'll remember those back in the day. The the portable <laughs> DVD players. I used to watch ECW in my car. I'd put it on my passenger seat and just listen to ECW shows on a portable DVD player. I mean, that's the best way, you know. Audio ECW. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there we there you go. So look forward to that, folks. Once we're all able to get back together again, and you can do some signed copies, make some extra money. There, you go. it's all perfect for you, Magnum. Perfect. So, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for joining us once again for uh, Magnum CK, AIW owner John Thorne. My name's Steve Guy. We'll talk to you next week right here on The Card is Going to Change. Thanks.